0: We have some books out in the entryway on a table. That's called the story, and they're yours. If you don't have one to take home with you, we just want you to have it. We this is our last order that we're going to make of the books. I think we've given away, including kids' books and all the books that we have had for this journey. Uh, over 500 books have been given out, um, and so we are. T- it's wonderful to be taking so many through this journey that we have in the, in the Bible. So, uh, yeah, be, be welcome to take one of those with you uh, as you go today if you don't have one. So we've been on this journey, and it's a journey that in the Scriptures, we know all the steps that transpired, but we are following a group of people who didn't know what was in front of them. They just entered into this journey of faith walking with God. And sometimes they were successful and sometimes they were unsuccessful. Sometimes they obeyed his voice. Sometimes they disobeyed his voice. When they obeyed, there were blessings. When they disobeyed, there were consequences or cursings upon their lives. It's a journey that they entered into. We know, we watch it from the beginning of Genesis all the way. We read all the way through the life of Jesus, all the way through we still have a journey ahead of us in Revelation that has not been spelled out in fine detail for us. We're in that journey, but there's a group of people, a large group of people that we're following. They didn't know where this journey was going to lead them to. We look at Jesus arriving in birth. It was a an event that was in a very obscure place. We celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas time. We talk about angels and shepherds and a bright star. But in reality, it was a very obscure kind of birth. It wasn't a lot of fanfare. It was in a little tiny village called Bethlehem. And then Jesus, after Joseph and Mary and Jesus went to Egypt to escape, to, to save their lives, they were brought back to the hometown where they were living, where Jesus would grow up in an area, a rural area up in, in Galilee, in a town called Nazareth, and we really don't know anything about Jesus from his birth until we learn at about 12 years old, they make a trip as a family to Jerusalem for a festival, and Jesus is not with the family as they're going back. He should have been with his cousins and his relatives and his friends, and they discover he wasn't with them, so they go back into Jerusalem in a panic because they don't know what has happened to him, and they find him at the temple having a discussion with the religious leaders that were leading the temple at the time, and everyone marveled at his words and his questions and his comments and his insights, and he said to his parents, Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? So this is the first sort of inkling we get of this spade work that's taking place in preparing for Jesus' ministry and and his defining moment of coming out. Well, then we don't see anything about Jesus again for another period of time. Most people would say probably until he was about 30 years old. But in the process of this now, John the Baptist, his cousin, had gone out. He, As we saw in the video, he was eating locusts and honey and wearing camel skins. And he was considered sort of this strange prophet out in the wilderness that was crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. He is coming. I'm not the one, but he was baptizing people as a preparation and as a sign of what was to come and preparing people's hearts for Jesus to arrive. Now in that culture and in that setting, there were very comfortable people that had come into very predictable lives. And they didn't want to give those up very easily because they were comfortable. That would be the religious leaders, the haves, as opposed to the have-nots, the people who were in charge of all the other people in the religious configuration that was going on, the hierarchy at the time. They were very comfortable in their status and in their position. They were very prosperous. They were very predictable in their lives. But at the same time, there was a group of people who were living at that same time who were disenfranchised, who were poor, who were, uh, had no power in that society. They were, they were cast, they were outcasts. That was another group of people. And this is what you usually find in a situation like that. And so Jesus is going to come and he's going to turn all of that. He's going to stir all of that up. He's going to stir it up for those that have and those that don't have. And there's going to be a big change coming. And so, Jesus arrives at the Jordan River where John is baptizing. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, No, let us do this. It is fitting So as an example to all, Jesus went ahead and was baptized by John as an example to set an identifying purpose for his status as both God and man. And at this defining moment in the life of Jesus at his baptism, it is said that a, a dove from heaven came down in representation of the Holy Spirit and a voice spoke from heaven this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This was the launching point of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But there was yet another battle to be faced. Satan went right or Jesus went right from that experience to a wilderness setting where for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted. And after that period of time Satan appeared to Jesus to tempt him in three primary areas of his life now that takes us way back to another time in the book of Genesis where we see Adam and Eve being tempted by Satan in the garden of Eden and in that case Satan which means diabolos which means divider which means tempter which means all these things but a divider He was seeking to divide Adam and Eve from God. And he was successful in that. They were tempted. They fell into temptation. They ate the apple. They ran and hid. God went looking for them as though he didn't know where they were. He knew where they were. He wanted them to confess. Where are you? Why are you hiding? We were ashamed, they said. So now we're in another setting where there's another battle to be waged. And there's another victory to be won, and Jesus wins that battle. He wins that victory. He said, it is written, you should not live by bread alone. When Satan came to him and said, eat, eat those warm buns after you've fasted for 40. He didn't, he didn't fall into the trap of temptation in his life. He won that victory for not only himself, but for all of us. Because if he was going to be the savior of the world, he needed to be able to conquer over sin and death. And in this case, he was the conqueror over those things. Then he gathered his disciples. And he went to these men, fishermen. Pretty much uneducated, common people. They were of the group of people that were considered the outcasts. They weren't the people that were considered the the religious authorities and those who had at the time. And he called them and he said, come and follow me. And the scripture says that they left everything that they had. They dropped their nets. They left what they were doing at, right then. And they went not knowing where they were going to go. They were following Jesus. They were following him where he was going. And they were watching and observing and participating they were there. He was teaching, he was training, he was mentoring, he was modeling, he was performing miracles. One of the first places they, they go was a wedding. Can you imagine their experience going to this wedding and Jesus is there. They run out of wine. And his mother, Mary, comes to him and says, they're out of wine. And Jesus thought, it's not my time yet. And she looked at the people and do whatever he tells you to do. Go fill these jars with water. Now take this to the steward or the host, and it turned to wine. Now, I, I tell you what, in our lives, we experience some amazing things, don't we? I mean, in our personal lives, we see think about the most amazing thing you have ever seen or experienced in your entire life. Think about what that was. Most of us forgetting some, have already forgotten some of those great experiences. But now we're seeing something that is unforgettable. It's like there's, a, there's something new going on here. We are, all of a sudden, we've moved from this place to a whole new place, and we don't know what's going to happen. It's all of a sudden the ground underneath our feet has become, everything is left. I don't know where this is going to go, but my goodness, he just turned water into wine. And that was just the beginning. That was only the beginning. The blind would receive their sight. The lame would walk. Lepers would be cleansed. The dead would be called out to life. Things are new and not the same anymore. But in the process of this journey, the haves, The people that were in comfortable, predictable, prosperous positions became very threatened because their lives were now, this comfort, this safety, this predictability had now been threatened because all of a sudden the world is changing and they don't know what to do about it. They try to, first of all, discredit Jesus. They try to trap Him with their words. They spread false rumors about Him. They follow Him around, and they ask the people that He he had healed. They ask a a guy that was, was blind and could now see. They were asking Him all these questions. And He said, I don't know, I don't know, but all I know is once I was blind and now I couldn't see. Amazing, this Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus, the Christ, who came and began and launched all of this ministry and made all of these changes, and all of a sudden, nobody was even aware. They, they stopped asking some of those questions that we ask those little, pathetic, pitiful little questions about, well, where are we going to eat today? Where are we going to go today? Who are we going to see today? What are we going to drink today? What are you going to do? Instead, the expectation and the anticipation rose to the point where it's like, hey, who's going to come out from the dead today? What blind person is going to see today? What lame person is going to walk today? What leper is going to be cleansed today? How many thousands of people are we going to see fed today on on two loaves and, on five loaves and two fish? Man! They were excited. It was amazing. And then that question always in the back of their mind, which would be in my mind, would be, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Wow. So there's a story in the Chronicles of Narnia, if anybody's ever followed that or seen the movie, there's a lion named Aslan, and Aslan is the uh, representation of Jesus Christ. One of the titles for Jesus is the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. And in the movie, when they're introducing the children to Aslan, they introduce him as a king, and then they discover that he's a lion. And the little girl asks, Well, is he safe? And the character introducing Aslan said, Is he safe? He's a lion, but he's good. He's good. We think sometimes of Jesus as being this meek and mild, gentle Jesus. Jesus was the friend of sinners, no doubt. He was the one who came to offer hope to a lost and needy world. A group of people who were outcasts and disenfranchised and sinners, terrible sinners. But he also roared. He was also the one who went in and cleared out the temple of the money changers. He upset and changed and transformed everything as he moved through the life of that time. Let's look at us. How many times in our lives do we pray to be safe? It's not a bad prayer, but I'm wondering about that now, and you should too. How much in our lives do we seek predictability and comfort for ourselves? How many of our prayers are geared towards our safety, and our welfare, and our, our prosperity, and our health. How much do we want to control the, not only our future, but our present that we are living in right now? How much of our focus is on that comfort and stability and predictability in our lives. And how unsettled we become when some of that gets shaken up by unpredictable things that happen to us, and we are off guard. When in reality, following Jesus, following God, living by faith and not by sight, will always mean, should always mean for us an unpredictable component to our journey. A sense of saying, pack your bags. Where are we going? I don't know, but I'm following God, and I trust Him, and this is where it's going to lead, and I don't know if that's going to be one step at a time. I don't know how much of the light I'm going to have for the journey out in front of me, but this is where I'm going. It's like the disciples said when Jesus... When they were wondering about what was going on, and and they said to Jesus, He said to them, "Are you going to leave?" And they said, "Where else do we have to go?" Because things were getting really tough for them. But their response was, "Where else do we have to go?" But with you. So this message is about us in following Christ and trying not to grip on to predictability and comfort because you could see that those who lived the comfort levels of life when Jesus was alive were not able to embrace him and follow him. In spite of what was right in front of them, in terms of all the miracles that were taking place, they were so hard-hearted and so lacking in faith. And so gripping to their comfort and predictability of their lives. And still praying for safety. When in reality, they should have allowed all of that to go away. And just follow. Wherever that would lead. And whoever that might mean that they would touch and be embraced by. That's what it means. That's what Jesus was showing them. But that's not the greatest thing that Jesus had to demonstrate to the people. As all of this was going on, there was a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was one of those people who was from the comfort side of things, living in a high position within the religious configuration and the religious authorities of the day. But Nicodemus was wise enough and shaken enough and curious enough that he at least wanted to go and find out for himself who Jesus was. And he wouldn't do it during the light of day because he didn't want anybody of his group to see him go there and actually go have a visit with Jesus. And he came as a sincere seeker to him and we have that recorded in John chapter 3. We're going to read through this, read the scripture as it comes out on the we're going to read all the way through here this section about Jesus and Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night and said, "Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him." In reply, Jesus declared, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You're, you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came so that we might have life and have it to the full. All these miracles, all these words, all this that he did was pointed towards this. And not just for Nicodemus, but for all of us, for you and for me. And that's the hope that we follow. But he didn't promise safety, comfort, predictability, prosperity. He didn't promise that following him would, would result in, in, in something that would be predictable. He said, actually, it's probably going to cost you. It may cost you your life. Um, actually, it, it, you're probably going to be persecuted for the faith that you have in me if you follow me. These things will happen to you. In fact, I can, probably, I can promise you that they will. So he did tell us what to expect in the journey, but not in detail. As Christians, as churches, as as we walk and follow, we're looking for the solid place. And there are solid places in God's promises for us. But I don't want us to look for the comfortable place. Because if it means truly following Jesus, truly, truly, truly following Him, we must hold everything loosely. We must walk by faith and not by sight. We must relinquish our fears and be courageous and not try to strive for safety and security. You ask me, well, what's wrong with that? There's a lot that's wrong with that because it shrivels us up. It shortens our gaze. It closes our thinking. It doesn't open up a whole world of opportunity and possibilities with God. People have asked me, well, what are you going to do next? I mean, if you're not going to be here, what's, what are you going to do? I don't know yet. But it's exciting. And, and and for the church, it's sad, but it's an opportunity. The same thing. We all have our bags packed, ready to follow wherever it is that God's taking all of us next. Individually, corporately, whatever that might be. But I feel like those disciples, where else do I have to go? Except with you, I've followed you for more than 40 years. I'm not going to change that now. This church has followed Jesus for nearly 100 years. We're not going to change that now. Wherever that road leads, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you come in and rock our world sometimes. You just absolutely shake things to the core and cause us to know that you are God and you love us and you have a plan for our lives. And sometimes the things that we define as good are not as good in your sight as the things that you want to accomplish that might be good for the life of someone else that you might want to use us for, whatever that might be. Lord, we confess today that we have prayed too many prayers of safety and security and comfort, and we ask, God, that you would strip those out of our lives because those are impediments to our ability to follow you fully in faith. We ask, God, we open it up all over again. We lay it all down. We say, it's all yours. We say, we're all yours, and like those disciples, we follow We just simply follow, one day at a time, one step at a time, whatever that entails. We thank you that you have promised that you will never leave us or forsake us and that you will walk along with us in this journey, this exciting, amazing journey that will sometimes have hardships and sometimes have incredible highs that we could have never imagined or ever thought of in our lives. And we thank you for that journey. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. This one thing we know. Number 369 in the hymn book. The words will be up here on the screen. to have everybody today, won't keep you long, but let's share just a few joys and concerns you might have today, bring it in, as Val always says, bring it in, bring it in, all right, who has something to share today? Yeah, I know. We got a new guy. Chris, we're proud of you, man. Not just for the beer, but you just got a spelt body these days, too. You just look great. You do. That's awesome. Somebody else. Yeah, Judy. Yes, Krista. I
1: just want to say thanks for all the prayers. Keith's dad, um, as you know, had pancreatic cancer, and he had a CAT scan Thursday, and the tumors are shrinking, the chem- chemo's working, and um, when we went back in January, I didn't think he'd make it this long, so oh, prayers do work, and thank you, everybody. praying. Yes. <laughs> sure.
0: Mike. Yeah. I have a praise and, and uh, you know, just full of gratitude my step-grandson, uh, Sammy, who a lot of you remember the story he was yeah. in A, Terrible motorcycle accident in a coma, and they said he'd never come out of it. And if he did, you know, his brain was so damaged that he really wouldn't be able to function much. This past week, he started to, he can't speak, but he's writing his name and he's drawing and he's recognizing everybody. And it's another oh. terrible so well. Thanks for the update. Amen. Praise God for that. That's awesome. Sammy, the little grandson, has come out of that coma. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Greg says hello. Great. And he's still doing great. We're ready to see him again. Jesus right. <laughs> Yes, Brother Greg, who uh, yeah, has been sober now for,
1: wow, almost two years. Almost two years. Yeah, Mark. I wanted to share this up front, but. Across the stairs that lead to the slide. She starts jacking with the chain. She's on it. The mother catches her just in time. It was a picture of God to me. I got my problems, you know, and I may not quite be an autistic child, but to God I was. We all are. God was chasing me down and said, The slide's not open. Some of you who know me may know exactly what I'm talking about, but I wanted to share that picture. What's always been a caution may not always be caution. It may turn to stop. And you have to recognize it, and God's chasing you down. Yeah. And he will get you.
0: And for your safety, for your benefit. Okay,
1: I saw that yesterday. In show. I told the lady when I caught her, she grabbed the child. There was a small stroke. the kid was calming down, and I said, you know what, you don't know me, but today you're my hero. Today you're the first, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't talk to strangers, I'm not talking to businessmen. <laughs> Especially the hot springs, you know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: all, right. all right. Lord, thank you for being with us today. We sense your Holy Spirit in our midst. We thank you for meeting with us when we open ourselves to meet with you. Now be blessed in Jesus' name. Sing Alleluia to the Lord. Sing Alleluia to the Lord. Sing Alleluia. Sing Alleluia. Sing, alleluia, sing, alleluia, sing
1: alleluia to the Lord.
0: Amen. Have a great day.